pride looks to self first in everything instead of what the Bible tells us that God is to be first in everything. It leads us on a collision course with God and everything that he has for our life. And the worst part I think about pride, and this is just my personal opinion, is that it comes and feels very natural. And it is also the silent killer as we do not see it as an enemy, but as an ally. And we see it as something that is a strength. And the Bible actually says that pride is a weakness that we need to be aware of. Welcome to Refuge Podcast, a weekly Bible study for young adults at Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. Proverbs chapter 16, Proverbs chapter 16. Yeah, Proverbs. We got, after tonight, there's three, there's gonna be three more studies in, in uh, this series that we're doing. Um, and yeah, we're almost done, I know. Yeah, I know, right? Come on. Um, so tonight we're gonna be, I know you're excited, um, after just, Spending time in the, Serenity's excited. After spending time in the presence of the Lord and being just uplifted by his grace, we are going to be discussing the topic of pride this evening. And everyone just went, ah. Oh. <laughs> so um, I know for myself, just studying today and um, trying to get prepared, super, super convicting. So um, hopefully nothing comes out too heavy handed. Just know that God loves you. So whatever I say, just remember that. God loves you before, before we get into it. But, um, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, it says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And God, we pray as we, um, as we read it, as we study it tonight, God, that you would speak to us in power. Lord, we're thankful, God, that you have given us your word um, when we need direction, when we need a word from you. Um, God, when we need uh, peace in our life, Lord, you have given us your word. Uh, and Lord, we pray tonight that it would do as it is intended for us, is to reveal our own heart to ourselves. Not that we would be condemned, but Lord, that we would be convicted and our, and our hearts would cry out to you, our Savior. Lord, we pray tonight that you would um, begin to move among us by your spirit, soften hearts that need to be softened. And Lord, may you um, just cover my words this evening. May they be your words. We love you, Lord. We thank you that you love every single person here, that you care about them, that you see them. And uh, Lord, that you have a plan and a purpose for their life. And so God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would pour out um, this evening and, and God, that your love would be known and felt in this room. We love you in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, as we've said previously through this study that Proverbs is a collection of writings by King Solomon. Um, he writes like a loving father to his child to plead with him to listen and to pay attention to his words. And uh, we've also said that wisdom is the skill of living in God's world, and it's available to us now. Wisdom is not something that you gain just as you become old. One day you'll be 30 and you're like, yep, did it, wise. That's not how it happens. Um, it's a lifelong lesson and continual um, lesson that we learn of walking with the Lord. But wisdom is available now. It's something that's available to us in God's word. And so that's what we've been seeking is to find wisdom in everyday life. There are some times in our life where the Ten Commandments do not hit every area of our life, do they? You're like, <laughs> I was good at the murder one. I don't know why. But, you know, like, should I kill my boss? No, clearly there's a clear moral standing for those types of things. But we're looking for direction or job opportunity. God, which way do you want me to go? I need wisdom for that. And so God gives us his word. He's written, um, he's given us this tool 
for us to learn how to be wise. And so we've talked about a number of different topics, whether it was uh, the last two weeks, we talked about making wise choices. Um, we've talked about, I can never remember when I get up here, I should write these down. We've talked about a bunch of stuff and you can go back to the podcast if you want and listen to some of those, um, those studies. But Proverbs tells us that gaining wisdom and applying it to our lives is like a gifted craftsman who knows which tool to use for the job, that wisdom is uh, available to us now and it's, it's to be used within the life that we have. The first nine chapters are all sermons and discourses, but the tail end is filled with all these pithy sayings about life. And if you read, you know, the first nine, you're like, wow, that's deep. And then you get to chapter 10 and it's talking about honey and not eating too much because you might throw up. Very practical advice that it offers. And so it's like reading Solomon's Twitter account towards the end. And it's just very blurby and kind of uh, all over the place. And so we're going to pull from a, different, a bunch of different areas throughout the book of Proverbs talking about pride this evening. But um, you cannot read this book, you cannot read Proverbs or the entirety of the Bible without seeing the topic of pride and humility come up. And so we're going to look at those side by side, what each one produces, where each one leads. Um, Solomon will make a statement about pride and then contrast it with the benefits of humility. And if we're to take suggestions on tonight, if we were to take a poll of what would be the best source to pull from to examine what pride looks like, I need no other source to learn about pride than my own heart. That each of us deals with pride in some way, shape, or form. That pride touches every part of our life, as well as humility. Our problem is not just what we see on the news and what we're hearing going on in our world, but our problems go far deeper than our society is willing to admit. And it is the heart of man that is the problem. It's where it lies and where, where pride begins is also in the heart. And why is pride and humility so important? So you've come tonight and you're going, why should I care? That's a question I ask myself all the time. Why should I care about what you're saying? Um, not tonight, not you guys. When you talk, I'm listening and I'm like super engaged. But if you've ever been somewhere and someone's talking, like when you're getting on a ride and they're talking about the rules and then it comes in Spanish and you're like, why do I care? Why do I care? I, don't, I know what to do. I'm not listening. Why should I care? When we come to this topic of pride and humility, you may be thinking to yourself like, I'm a pretty humble person. Like, this would be great for someone to hear tonight. I know there's a word for someone out there tonight. God wants to speak to you tonight as well, not just the person sitting next to you or your spouse sitting next to you. But why is it important? And why does this book spend so much time on it? Especially on something that is mainly internal that we cannot see just by looking at another person. And that is because pride and humility touch every part of our lives. In fact, Scripture says that it is crucial to our survival that we pay attention to what Scripture says about pride. It's actually crucial to your survival, like you living. It's, it's, one, it's that important when it comes to the issue of pride. Have you ever been on, like on, a, um, on a boat or something like that or something where it's like serious, you could die? And there's very specific instructions. Like on a plane, you know, when they go through the whole card and there's like, in case of emergency, this is what you need to do. In case of a landing on sea and you're, they're going through these whole motions and you're not listening to a single thing. Because you're like, whatever, we'll make it there. But it's like, this is crucial to like surviving the crash. Should it happen, God forbid, it's crucial to your survival. And the lady's smiling like, seatbelt. <laughs> and you're like, I know how to put on a seatbelt. I'm, I'm not listening. Just turn on the movie so we can go. You already have your mask on. How disrespectful. Like those poor stewardess who are like, have you realized now they've gone to videos because they realize people aren't going to watch other people. She's putting on the vest and she's like, pull the tabs, blow into the tube. <laughs> and you're like, I know how to fill up a life jacket in that mid, like, but remember everyone's like, stay calm. What's the first thing that everyone do? Do's. What does everyone do? They like, they run frantically. Because they haven't listened to the procedure. When it comes to our survival in this life, the writer of Proverbs is saying to us, this is crucial for us to know. As the body of Christ, we need to understand and take a good look at pride in our own heart and to pay attention to what scripture says about it. Because pride and humility touch every part of it. 
So where does pride lead and where does humility lead? We're going to ask a few questions of, of these things tonight. But if you look at verse 18 of chapter 16, pride goes before destruction. The word destruction means breaking, fracturing, shattering, or crushing in the Hebrew. It's the idea of someone breaking a bone. If you've ever broken a bone, you can imagine how, how painful that is. I have never broken a bone. Um, drank a lot of milk. But I don't know. It just it never happened. Torn ligaments, surgeries, things like that, but never broken a bone. So those of you that have broken a bone, God bless you. Uh, I have broken other people's bones, but I have never broken a bone myself. Um, <laughs> funny story. Uh, I'll tell you some other time. But here we go. It leads to the shattering of lives, it says. That pride leads to the shattering of lives, and it leads to pain. So if this is something that we want to avoid, Scripture is very clear as to where it leads. That pride leads to a shattering, a crushing, a breaking of a life, and it leads to pain. But pride is, is what took down Lucifer himself. The most glorious and beautiful angel ever created who we now know as the devil and Satan himself. He was succumbed, or he succumbed to the temptation of pride. He was overcome with pride. It was pride that led sin in the Garden of Eden to Adam and Eve. And it was pride that caused King David to commit adultery and murder. Spurgeon said that pride walks too upright and never looks at its feet. A stone causes it to come tumbling down. But on the practical level of pride, pride will always keep us from learning. It will always keep us from learning. You will never do well, just on a practical level at work. If you think that you know everything, you will never learn anything and you will never grow and you will never move anywhere because you're unteachable. On just a very practical level, if you're too prideful to take someone else's suggestion or to learn from someone, you will not do well, and you will make really bad choices. But also spiritually, pride looks to self first in everything instead of what the Bible tells us that God is to be first in everything. It leads us on a collision course with God and everything that he has for our life. And the worst part I think about pride, and this is just my personal opinion, is that it comes and feels very natural. And it is also the silent killer, as we do not see it as an enemy, but as an ally. We see pride as something to be proud of, or to hold on to, or a defense mechanism, or something to be um, clamored for. And we see it as something that is a strength, when the Bible actually says that pride is a weakness that we need to beware of. Now in direct contrast with this destruction that comes from pride is what comes from humility. Proverbs 29, 23, if you're writing these down, it says, a man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. Humility brings this idea here of glory and acceptance is that word honor. It's the word, same word, uh, kabaud or something in the Hebrew. I, I dropped Hebrew one in Bible college because I thought it was the book of Hebrews, but it was actually the language and I failed Spanish one twice. So I wasn't going to pass this class. So um, it's like kabaud or kabod or whatever. It means glory is what it means. Okay. It means honor. It's this under, it has this meaning of acceptance unto the Lord. Humility brings this idea of glory and acceptance. And isn't that what every person seeks? Is that feeling of acceptance. To be accepted. To be welcomed. To be honored. It's not through pride. It's not through self-proclamation. Uh, but it's through the humbling of oneself. That that is what comes. He says this is where Humility leads us to honor. It, it leads us to uh, a lifting up, the Bible says, that, that God will actually draw you near, that he resists the proud and he brings close the humble. I mean, it's, it's stark contrast uh, of what can take place and where these things lead. Now, if, if this is where they lead, then pride and humility are foreshadows of future events. Let me explain it. 
Meaning that if someone's life is to end in destruction, it will not be by surprise. We're not going to be like, I'm shocked. I had no clue. There are road signs every step of the way, and each one is pride or it's humility. If someone's life ends in destruction, in breaking, and in pain, often it's because there are road signs of pride all along the way. Matthew 18, Jesus says, whoever humbles himself is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. This is the, the um, not the oxymoron, what's the, the paradox of God's kingdom. That the way up is the way down. And the irony is that pride humiliates us while humility honors us. Have you ever noticed that? When you get built up with pride, um, a few years ago, I was at a junior high camp because I became the junior high pastor for a short stint. And um, we were playing uh, football with some junior high kids. And it was like, no big deal. It started to rain. Everyone's like, we're playing barefoot. I'm like, fine, as long as I don't have to take out my shirt. Let's pray. Or play. Sorry, not pray. Let's pray, kids. Lord, keep these children safe as I wreck them with my muscles. No. Um, <laughs> but I was like, yeah, I play football. I know what's up. Three-point stance. Watch this. And like, get, I don't need a stretch. I'm 34, 33. You need to stretch. You always need to stretch. First play, this little kid just starts like doing all these little juke things. And I'm like, I'm going to just like push you down so hard. And that was my pride, being like, you're prideful. And watch me just be an instrument of the Lord to teach you humility, little child. And the kid takes off running, and he was a lot faster than I thought he was. So I start running, and I get to the sideline and I go to pull up and I slip and I pull my hamstring and there's this pop sound in my hamstring and I was like, oh yeah, I'm old and I need to stretch. And I sat there with a dodgeball under my knee on the grass in the rain, just like God's like, oh yeah, how you doing? I'm like, I'm so sorry, God, such a prideful, arrogant jerk. But you notice like, Pride often, we're humiliated because of it. Isn't that ironic? Not to quote a secular band, Alanis Morissette, but isn't it ironic that that would take place? That like, my pride actually humiliates me. But it's humility that honors us. That it's what God desires to do in our life. It's by us humbling ourselves before God has to humble you himself. That actually brings us to a place where we're honored by the Lord. We're accept we feel that acceptance by God in, in all of that. Pride actually pushes us away from the Lord. So where, this is where they lead. One leads to destruction. One leads to honor. But what does pride and humility look like in my own heart? And every time we go, there's going to be four things that we go through, I think. I can't remember if there's four or three because I can't remember the fourth one. But if we, as we go through these here... I want you to ask the question each time, does this describe me and my attitude? Does this describe me and does this describe my attitude? Because I had to do this all day and I want you to feel the same pain that I felt all day long, which was just the conviction of the Holy Spirit because God is so good that he does not leave you as you are. There's this process of sanctification that God brings you through. doesn't matter how old you are, how long you've been walking with Jesus. Man, this process is a lifelong journey until the breath in your lungs is gone. God wants to grow you, to change you, to make you more like Jesus. And so each one of these as we go through it, ask yourself, is this my attitude? Is this my heart? How do I respond to these things? Proverbs is an incredibly practical book, like we said. And it gives many examples of how pride plays itself out in our workplace, in our friendships, in our relationships. And one of those is, the first one is authority. Um, <laughs> authority. My main joke at home with my wife is she asks me something to do, like, hey, can you go? And I say, don't tell me what to do. That's our joke all the time. She's like, you need to go. And I'm like, don't tell me what to do. And then I go do it. It's a joke. It's, not, it's just me being annoying, but it's just constant in my own heart. And when it re out of the mouth, the, the heart is revealed, isn't it? Because every time she tells me what to do, I'm like, I'm the man of this house. You don't need to tell me. Why don't you do it? You know, or whatever. But how do we relate to the authority of God in my life? 
how do I relate to the authority of God in my life? Proverbs 13, 13, it says, he who despises the word will be destroyed, but he who hears the commandments will be rewarded. When it talks about commandments, it's speaking of the word of God. When it comes to the authority of scripture, do we welcome it? Or do we tell God what we, what we want and we want things our way? When I read scripture, do I look for verses that promote and allow me to live how I want? And if I'm challenged, I reject them as the authority in my life. So you come across a verse that says, thou shalt not, and you're like, eh, that's really for someone else. You know who really needs to hear this? My friend Becky, real sinner. And we push things off in order to amplify or to cause ourselves to feel safe and secure in our own sin. All the while, God is saying, this is for you. I've written this for your good. I've written this for your own sanctification. I've written for this. This very text is for you presently in your time frame in which you are living. It's for you that you would obey my word and to obey my will and you will be blessed. And we say, ah, I reject it because it goes against what I want. A lot of people love scripture until it tells them who they can and cannot sleep with. A lot of people love scripture until it tells them how they are to use their money. A lot of people love scripture and love the Bible and love going to church and love raising their hands until God says, this is sinful and it's the very thing that you love. So how do you respond to the authority of scripture? Do our prayers demand the spiritual blessings of God because, hey, I went to church twice this week and served in children's ministry, so you owe me, God. When we treat God like a vending machine, you miss out on the fact that this is a relationship with God. I did my service, now the Lord owes me. We misunderstand the authority of God in our life. Humility, however, says, Lord, I want things your way, your will for my life. And when we read God's word, we say yes to it. Yes, Lord, this is for me. This is not just for someone else. This is what you desire for me. Even the parts that make us uncomfortable, for those that tell us that we are wrong. If not, you have a pride problem. If you read scripture and go, no. If you read the Bible and you say, nope, I'm not going to do that one. Like, that's where I draw the line, right there. <laughs> you have a pride problem. It's not, I didn't say it, the Bible said it. So don't get mad at me. And here's, here's the thing, I recognize that today in my own life. We're all re I know scripture, I read, I've read Proverbs, I've read Matthew, I've read, I've read most of the New Testament, except for the boring parts. No, I've read the whole thing, like I've read it, and I'm like, yeah, that's cute, that's great. The parts that like, really hammer me and the parts that make me uncomfortable, I'm like, eh. I want to be the authority on that part. God, stay out of my business. Stay out of my way. You are making me uncomfortable. You have a pride problem. Just like me, if that's you. Not only is it an authority problem, but listen, the second one is correction. How do you, how do you respond to correction. <laughs> Sorry. It's a lot easier to preach than it is to like do. I'm just going to say, okay. So when I'm telling you, I'm telling myself. Proverbs 15.31 says, The ear that hears the rebuke of life will abide among the wise. The word of God is always begging and pleading with us to remain teachable. It is always begging us to remain teachable. But pride, again, refuses to learn and responds by saying, I know this already. <laughs> How many of you are sitting there tonight? You're listening to a Bible study or you're listening on Wednesday night or you're somewhere and you're like, I know this already. I know this already. I don't need to listen anymore. I've heard this before. I know this already. The I do this all the time. I've, you know, you hear, I've gone to a conference and someone will step up there to preach and they're opening your Bibles to this. And I'm like, this message again, here we go. I know I'm God's poem, I get it. <laughs> Sounds a little sissy to me. I don't know if that's, you know, like just having a problem, like 
come on, like, I know this one. The Greek word for this is poema, and you're like, I know this already. I've actually taught it like 10 times. Thanks a lot, buddy. When you get to the good stuff, you know? It's a pride problem. Pride refuses to learn. Pride says, I know this already. Instead of, this is good, I need to hear this again. Do you know that the Bible repeats itself? It repeats itself a lot. All the time. So if you're like, I'm sick of this, I've already heard it. You're going to be disappointed for the rest of your Christian walk because you're going to hear it over and over and over again. Why? It's not because God ran out of ideas and he's like, oh, this is good. <laughs> we'll just leave him with this stuff. It's because we forget and we don't obey. It's as simple as that. It's not like God's just running out of ideas here. It's because we don't listen and so he repeats himself. Often, if you look at the history of the, of the children of Israel, God said the same thing over and over and over again. Every year they would come and they would read the law over and over and over again. It's not because God's mean or sadistic or weird. It's because they wouldn't listen and they would forget. And so the Bible repeats itself. And if you don't do well with correction now, that needs to be corrected right now because the rest of your life you're going to be told what to do. I'm still told what to do. Dave is still told what to do. It's just a part of life. If you have an authority problem, if you have a correction problem, you will have that problem the rest of your life. And especially if you won't take correction from scripture. I've met people. We've sat in my office. We've counseled. I've said, this is what the Bible says. And if you... If you don't do that, then you're going to end up destroyed. That's where it's going to lead. Listen to what the Bible is saying. And they're like, yeah, it's a good suggestion. No, it's a command. It's a command. And it's as simple as that. If you will not learn to be corrected or to receive correction, instead of saying, I already know that, and you, you, if you don't stop saying that and start saying, this is good, I need to hear it again, you will have problems. Because pride has taken up residence in your heart. And also, we have blind spots. We have blind spots in our character. We have blind spots in our own heart that we cannot see. That other people are given the insight by God that can see it clearly and we're just missing it. And so if we're unwilling to take correction, remember wisdom is a community project. It's to be done among people, with us. It's all together. We're in this together. We want to become wise, and the way that we do it is together. And so we need to receive correction. And so how do you respond to correction? How does your heart respond to correction? The Bible says that humility, a humble person, invites advice. They invite it. Like, tell me. I don't know what I'm doing. I need to know what I'm doing. Help me. That's great advice. Actually, I've heard that before. It's probably something I should do, right? So correction. Humility invites advice where pride will not take it. And the third one is confession. In order for there to be humility and correction, there has to be a little bit of confession, now, I'm going to stand up here, and each one, one by one, we're going to come and confess, and I will give you a little wafer. No, this isn't across the street. That's not what we're doing. When we talk about confession, we're going to look at Proverbs 28, 13. Look at what it says, or I'll just read it to you. He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Did you see the contrast? He who covers his sin will not prosper. And we have story after story in scripture of people that did exactly this. They covered their sin and they did not prosper. Achan in the tent, he took, remember, the Lord told him, do not take the spoils of the land. Do not, in the book of Joshua, do not take the spoils. Don't do it. Joshua was the Exodus? Joshua, thank you. Do not take anything. And what did he do? He took a nice scarf, like a tunic that was really colorful. He took a wedge of gold and he dug a hole and he buried it in his tent. The entirety of the camp of Israel suffered because of it. Because he disobeyed God. When you cover up your sin, 
it affects not only you, but it affects those around you. You will not prosper, Solomon says. And not only, okay, I think he's speaking from experience here. If he would talk to his dad and he would talk to his mom, this is something he learned from his parents. His mom was Bathsheba and his dad was King David. And his dad tried to cover his own sin by murdering the husband of Bathsheba. And they lost their child because of it, because of their sin. They'd lost that child, but God blessed and gave them Solomon. And I think Solomon is, is speaking from experience here. And he's saying, listen, I've seen it personally in my own life. I've seen it in my family's life. Sin that is covered up, it will not prosper you. If you're living a lie and just trying to cover it, it will lead to disaster. Few things reveal our pride than our unwillingness to confess that we're wrong doesn't it? Few things really reveal our pride than our unwillingness to confess that we're wrong. It means that we remain trapped by our sin. We're trapped by it. We, because we won't confess it, because it won't be revealed, because we won't bring it to the Lord, we actually become trapped by our own sin. And the only sin that keeps us in the dark is the one that is unconfessed and concealed. The only sin that holds you back from being free and walking with the Lord and enjoying all that he has and, and all the, the spiritual blessing, it, the only sin that will hold you back is the one that you're unwilling to confess and to bring you to the surface and to ask God for forgiveness for. We're trapped by our own sin and our own willingness to say we are wrong. That's a pride problem. It's a pride problem. Confession takes on the attitude of humility and it looks at the benefits of what happens from confession. And that is, um, look what he says. It, those who confess and forsakes them will receive wrath, will receive judgment. It says they will receive mercy. Mercy. The benefit Listen, the benefit that we have, this is Solomon writing pre-cross. I mean, this is, we're on this side of the cross. We need to understand the benefit of having Jesus' blood covering, demolishing, removing all of our sin, past, present, future. So if you're living in sin and covering it up and hiding it, you are missing out on the benefit that is you will receive mercy because of the blood of Jesus Christ. He died for those sins. And the problem that we think that if we think we're concealing him, what's really, you are living in a fantasy world because God sees them. He knows them. He died for them. He offers you mercy in exchange for the junk that you've been trapped by. Pride deceives us into thinking that we're getting away with it when really it's chewing away at us little bit by little bit. And it's destroying us spiritually. The benefit of, of knowing um, the forgiveness of the Lord is so much better than holding on to unconfessed sin. You'll receive mercy. you receive freedom. You're released from darkness. I mean, those are some of the benefits. But pride always plays the victim. And it says that other people are the problem. You've ever heard <laughs> This is me. If everyone would just think like I would, then we wouldn't have a problem, right? Rarely are we the problem. Like if we're having problems at church, like if the church would just get it together, geez, just do what I suggest. If you've watched the news at all, everyone's like, has a plan to fix the world. Like if everyone was just this way, like, uh, it's rarely do we turn the camera on ourselves and go, it's me. I'm the problem. I'm the issue. I'm the ridiculous one. Jesus even said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 through 5, why do you point out the speck in your brother's eye when you have a four-by-four four redwood log sticking out of the front of your face? Do you realize why we do it? 
Here's the thing that Jesus is saying. The word speck is the word sawdust, meaning it's the same material as the log in your own eye. So you see your own sin and you know your own sin and you see it in someone else. And so you so easily recognize it and point it out. Jesus says it's made of the same stuff. That's why you're pointing it out. You want to help your brother? Realize that you are capable of the same junk. Take it out of your own eye. Confess it. Get rid of it. And then help your brother. It starts with confessing that we might be the issue. God, humble me. Keep me from pride. Pride is always prone to suspect others, but the humble person suspects themselves first. There's a, a biblical example of this is the Pharisee who, who prayed to the Lord, God, I thank you that I'm not like this tax collector. I'm not like other people, right? I'm not like this dirty, rotten sinner. And we're like, oh, that's so prideful. Thank God that I'm not like that Pharisee. <laughs> we do the exact same thing. Like, thank God I'm not so pharisaical and religious. I have freedom in Christ. You're prideful in your freedom. Instead of like the tax collector who beat his chest and said, God, forgive me, have mercy on me, a sinner. The contrast is pride and humility in that story. Instead, may we have the attitude of the psalmist who said, Lord, search my heart, O God. See if there's any wicked way in me. It's interesting at the, at the Last Supper, you remember when Jesus said that one of you here will betray me. And, and the Gospels tell us that one by one, each of them says, is it I, is it I, is it I? And I don't know if they felt peer pressure or what, or maybe they thought, Maybe I, in my own sinful, disgusting sin, am just as capable as anyone else at this table to do that. And I've always been impressed by that. And I don't know if there were peer pressure. They're like, I guess I'll ask, is it I? <laughs> of course not. Remember what Peter said. Peter, he stood up and he's like, Lord, all of these guys will leave you and deny you. I will never leave you. I will never deny you. And that's what got him in trouble, his pride. Pride led him to follow Jesus at a distance. It's the gateway. Joel and I talked about this before. Is it the gateway sin? We don't know. Is it the gateway sin to all these other sins? Perhaps. At the root of so many other sins, is pride at the very base of it all? Perhaps. Instead, may we have that attitude, Lord, search me. Is it me? Because I know that I'm just as wicked as anyone else. But we need to look at also our circumstances. Proverbs verse 30, that's our fourth one. <laughs> I remember now. We need to look at our circumstances. Proverbs 30 verses 8 through 9 says, Remove the falsehood and the lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you and say no um, is the Lord, or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of the Lord. This is a really interesting verse. Solomon here says, Lord, don't make me too rich. I've never prayed that prayer ever in my entire life. Like, God, don't make me too rich. I don't want too much stuff. Like, if you're going to err on the side of benevolence, please bring it on. I mean, I've never, never <laughs> asked God, like, no, we're good. Um, I don't want a pay raise. Uh, things like that. Rarely prayed that prayer. Lord, don't give me too much because I don't want to become, you know, too comfortable um, in this life. Nor let me be too poor. I got to steal and then bring shame on the Lord. But as we look at our circumstances, what is our response? As you're looking around, you're just kind of looking at your life and where life has taken you and things that have happened to you or, you know, jobs that you're pursuing or whatever. And you're like, man, this door's closed and this is frustrating and whatever. What's your attitude right now as, as far as your your circumstances go. Pride would look at our circumstances and say, Lord, why don't I have more? Why don't I have more? I've served you faithfully. I've done this. I've done that. Why aren't you giving me more? You said, God, in your word, this is great. You said in your word, if I'm faithful with the little, you will give me more. I have been faithful with the little. That's pride. Pride says, and looking at what's going on in your life says, why don't I have more? I deserve it. 
After all, it's the mantra of our world. This encouragement from the world that exists, it exists for you, this world, is what it says. I owe it to myself. I deserve a spa day or whatever. I deserve to get my nails done again. I deserve this. I deserve that. I work hard. Not, if you get your nails done, don't feel condemned. By all means, get your nails done. It's much better than like some weird hook thing going on, right? <laughs> Please get your nails done. But um, not to condemn just that. Sorry. I don't know why I got on that weird nail thing. But or why is my car still like a piece of junk? How come I don't have a better car? Why did I have to sell my pickup truck? You know, things like that that plague your memory. Why do I drive a mom's car, you know? I get checked out on a regular basis by dudes because they think I'm a mom in a car, like in a Sequoia. And they're like, see what this mom's up. And then it's a big red hairy beast. And they're like, the Lorax. And they drive off. But think about it for a second. We look at our circumstances and we're like, God, why don't I have more already? Why aren't you giving me the desires of my heart? However, humility says, why do I have so much? I don't deserve it. This is what happens when you become a Christian. There's an incredible perspective change. The gospel says that we deserve death because that was the wage that our sin earned. If we were to be paid and given what we deserve for our sin, death and wrath would have been the currency used. But the gift of God is eternal life. See, when you look at our circumstances and we look at them through the cross itself, we cannot help but be humbled and say, God, why have you blessed me so much? Why have you given me so much? It's when we lose sight of the cross and say, God, why don't I have more? Why don't I have more? It's because we've lost sight of the fact that God has given us everything and it doesn't necessarily come in this life. It comes in the next that you've been given every spiritual blessing under heaven, that you've been enriched by the grace of God. I mean, read scripture and it tells you that that's what the gospel has done. That's what the cross has done. But yet we can shake our fists and say, God, why don't I have more? That's a pride problem. But it's eradicated because of the cross. We cannot help but be humbled and say, God, why? Why have you blessed me so much? It reminds me of the story of the prodigal sons. If you remember the story, it's called the prodigal son, right? But there's actually two brothers in that story. One says, dad, I wish you were dead so that I could have my inheritance now. It's a really jacked up story. And so he says, give me what, what you would give me when you die. I want that now. And so the son goes, he takes that money and he lives prodigally. He spends it all. He wastes it all. There's a famine in the land. All his friends leave him. He's, you know the story. He's eating, you know, he's living with pigs. And he comes to his senses and says, what am I doing here? He works up this little, like, speech that he's going to say to his dad. Like, I'll tell him, like, hey, can I work in your house as a servant? Like, the servants eat better than I'm eating right now. Like, I, can I just work in your house to be back into your good graces? And so he goes home. And you know the story the dad is looking for him, he comes, he falls on him, falls on his neck. If you know, um, in Jewish law, of course, this is a story that Jesus is telling, but in Jewish law, a son that would dis, like, dishonor his father like that would be stoned on the spot. They'd throw rocks at him until he died. So a lot of commentators think that when the father falls on him, it's to block him from any stones that would be coming from people as, they walk, as he walks into town. But as he goes back to the house, remember, he... he tells his dad, like, I'll work for you. And his dad says, Bring, kill the fatted calf, put a ring on his finger, put a robe upon him, put sandals on his feet. My son who was dead is home. He's alive. You remember that part of the story? It's epic, epic story. There's another son in that story. He comes out and he says, dad, you not once have you ever done that for me. Not once. I have faithfully served you. I've worked hard. I'm here. And not once have you thrown me a party like that for him. Like, like this kid's a jerk. And you're honoring him? I can't believe this. <laughs> this has a point. One saw his sin and asked for grace. The other 
saw his works and felt entitled to more. And that was pride. He felt he deserved more. His pride blinded him to the fact that he was a son the whole time. And he didn't make that happen. His father had made that happen. He had lost sight of the fact that he had not given anything to the deal. He was simply born and given this opportunity to live this way. And he had lost sight of that and said, I'm entitled because I've worked for it. Entitlement is a pride issue. Humility is the pathway to joy because we see what God has given us despite what we deserved and we cannot help but be overjoyed. So where does pride come from? Last thing, last point. Where does pride come from? It comes from the heart, obviously. The heart of pride says, I'm at the center. That's pride itself. I'm at the center. It's an attitude of radical self-centeredness. And the problem is that pride is really the gateway sin to so many other problems in our life. But the worst thing about pride is that it keeps us from crying out to our Savior. Proverbs 22.4 says, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Proverbs is a foreshadowing of salvation that was to come. You read that verse and you, you cannot help but think this is what... Solomon is, is foreshadowing the salvation that was to come. That pride is the antithesis of Christianity and humility is the heart, the heartbeat of Christianity. Why? Because humility began in heaven. It began in heaven. Christ humbled himself while we were exalting ourselves and making much of us. Christ made himself nothing and of no reputation to come and to save and redeem prideful sinners like you and like me. That's why humility is the heartbeat of Christianity because it began in Christ. That's where humility exists. It existed fully. Our God is a humble God the creator of all things, who made all things, who could say, I'm better than you. Any day of the week can be like, I'm better than you. I'm a lot better than you. Don't you hate those kind of people? Just, I can't stand, you know. You do something, you're like, I could do that. I actually did that four times. And you're like, why do you got to one-up me, jerk? Like, why do you got to, why? Why are we having this conversation? Why can't you just high-five me? Why do I always have to homeschool high-five myself? You know, it's, it's annoying. God made himself of no reputation. He was born in a trash town to a trash family. He could have come in a palace, a gold pillow, like the whole kingly thing and been like, that's right, I'm here. He was born in a cave and put into an animal's feeding trough. And then he wasn't even honored in his death. He, was, he died a sinner's death. He died a criminal's death. He died an embarrassing, humiliating death where he was stripped down and then nailed to a cross, beaten, whipped, scourged, mocked, the whole deal, completely humiliated for us, for us. That's why humility, this is something that needs to mark us as Christians. And, and, and I'm talking to myself, I'm such a prideful little punk. I really am. I'm not saying that so you'd be like, no, you're so humble. You know those people are like, I'm terrible. I'm like, come on. And they're like totally baiting you for compliments. Like, I'm so ugly. They're like, you're beautiful. Like, I really want to lose three pounds. They're like, you're crazy. You're perfect the way you are. And they're like, oh, no, please stop. Dude, we are. But the first step to like getting better and like finding restoration is confessing your pride to the Lord. And like really searching your heart. Like the psalmist says, search my heart, God. You tell me if I'm prideful. Because I have blind spots. I don't even know if I am. Am I? Sometimes we lie to ourselves to make ourselves feel better. But what's so good is that the gospel tells us that Christ died for our sins, even our pride. Died for it to give us newness of life. To walk humbly with our God. Such a good, good reminder. And so... Um, like I was saying, if anything came off like super harsh, it's the Bible's fault. It's the Bible's fault. The Bible's like, sometimes it just punches you right in the neck. 
and leaves you gasping for air to like deal with it, right? It doesn't punch you in the face. It punches you right in the goit, like right, right there, just boom. And then you're like, <sighs> and God's like, deal with it. Like I'm doing this for your own good. You're welcome. <laughs> That's the Old Testament for you. All right, let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all that you have done for us. We're thankful, God, that when the Bible tells us to be humble, you modeled it for us. You showed us what it looks like. And so, Lord, we're so grateful that without, without that act of love and kindness and humility, Lord, none of us would make it. And so, Lord, we want to take your word seriously. As your word says, it is crucial. It is vital to our very survival. Lord, we want to take these things seriously. And so, God, help us not to be prideful. If we have hidden sin, if we have unconfessed sin, if we're those that have authority problems, Lord, we're so thankful that we can come to the throne of grace and to confess our sins. And you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, if there's anyone who's hiding in the darkness of their sin tonight, would you call them out? Call them out of it unto yourself to receive mercy from the throne, from the king. We're so thankful, God, that you died for our sin, that you took our punishment upon yourself. Lord, forgive us of our pride. Help us to walk humbly, recognizing who we really are and what we are, recognizing who you are. We love you, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Stop.